Welcome to this episode of the We Travel There podcast. We're in Havana, Cuba with my new friend Hega Jacobson of theworldbyhega.com. She's a former military officer who's now a full-time traveler, blogger, and TEDx speaker. She lived in Havana for two years during COVID and was able to experience all that the island nation had to offer. In this episode, Hega and I talk about exploring the Museum of the Revolution, going on a classic car tour, and watching the cannon ceremony at La Gabana Fortress. Hear about these three amazing experiences and so much more. If you know someone interested in visiting Cuba, I'd love it if you share this episode with them. The show notes and our one-page guide to Hega's tips are available at wetravelthere.com forward slash Havana. Now let's get started. The We Travel There podcast helps you travel like a local by interviewing guests from around the world to uncover the hidden gems of their city by finding out the best things to do, eat, drink, and see from a local's point of view. Acorns is one of my favorite apps because it helps me invest spare change automatically. Every time I make a purchase with a registered debit or credit card, the transaction is rounded up to the next dollar. Then, Acorn invests these roundups in my personalized portfolio. Plus, when you shop at participating retailers or service providers, you can earn additional found money to invest in your future. Examples of current and previous partners include DoorDash, Liberty Mutual, Macy's, and FedEx. I've been using Acorns for years and love how much money I've saved up from all these small investments. Sign up using my referral link at wetravelthere.com forward slash acorns to start saving today. Hey, Hega, welcome to the show. Hi, Lee. How are you? Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So today we're talking about a place that I've wanted to travel for, for many, many years. I almost actually did a, a roundabout way of getting there, going through like uh, Mexico and then taking a, a a non-passport trip to Havana, Cuba. And it's it's one of those things where it was closed off for many, many years to American travelers. It opened up for a little while, closed, and then now it's opened back up, but it's not like fully open up. Uh, so uh, we definitely want to hear all about your adventures, how to get there, what to do, and, and everything else. Yeah, I am ready to tell you everything I know. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So What's your connection to Havana? How did you get there? Obviously, based on your your accent, we can tell that you're not exactly a native from there. No, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not a Native American either. I'm from Norway. I'm from the top of the world. And um, in 2018, I decided to do a six-month solar journey in Central and South America. And that was my first visit to Havana. So obviously, being like this shield maiden, you know, from the north, I have a career in the army behind me and everything. I don't think I was really prepared that I was actually going to kind of fall in love with the Cuban culture and Havana in particular. I went there for a month uh, at first and I was completely like mesmerized by everything, probably because it was so different, you know, from the cold north where I've, I've grown up. So I stayed there for a month and during my six months journey, I actually returned twice just to first, just to check that it was not just like the first impression of the city, but that I actually liked it. And the uh, third time, I stayed there for six weeks in the last period of my six months journey. And I don't know what to say. <laughs> I just, I just fell in love with Havana. That's so fantastic. So, are you living there now, or are you, are you kind of still traveling around the world and and going on your adventure? Actually, right now I'm in Puerto Rico and I am on, uh, I'm a traveling for a few months. Not exactly sure when I will return to Havana, but hopefully around Christmas. 
So right now um, I'm visiting other islands in the Caribbean. Hey, you know, that's pretty much what dreams are made of. Just kind of island <laughs> yeah. hopping around like the Caribbean and enjoying the sand and the sun and, and the water. Mm-hmm. If people are planning a trip to Havana, like what time of year should they plan their visit? I know that the because it's you know in the Caribbean, closer to the equator, the weather's pretty much the same most of the year, correct? Yes, it is. It's not like it doesn't have the seasons that like you have in Europe or anywhere near the poles. So it's not that different uh, in temperature. But in Cuba or in, in the whole region, you have two seasons. You have the wet and the dry season. And so the dry season starts around November through May. And then the wet season, May, June through October. Also, the peak season, the high season to travel, obviously, is during summer because a lot of people have time off. But that is also the excruciating hot period in Havana in Cuba. So uh, there's going to be a lot of people and uh, it's going to be really hot and all the sites are there. But I would say that the best season to go is the shoulder seasons. And if you want to make sure that you don't get the rain, that would be probably March, April every year. And if you don't mind the rain, you know, shoulder season, September, October is also really nice, I think. Okay. That, that sounds good. Yeah. I mean, like here in, in Nashville where I live, we have like that fall break, you know, in October. So that'd be a great opportunity to go there. Cause I think it's also towards like the tail end of the, of the hurricane season. So hopefully by then the hurricanes are over, uh, or, uh, like you said, in the, in the springtime, you got spring break. So you can go during those periods as well. And, and, I was, I'm just wondering if there's there's crowds from spring break. I, I, I Probably not because a lot of people aren't necessarily thinking that it's okay to travel to Cuba. That's correct. Hardly ever is there crowds of tourists in Cuba, apart from maybe end of June till early August. So like the summer months. American travelers, I have met so many Americans who'd say, oh, it's so sad that I can't go to Cuba. And I tell them that is not correct. And they're like, What? Because Americans can go to Cuba. So I'm basically on a mission to share that information that Americans can go to Cuba. And I can tell you exactly how if you want to uh, know about that. Yeah, I mean, we can kind of touch on that just a little bit here. Because I I know for when travel to Cuba first opened up, there was a, there was a lot of airlines offering flights. There were multiple airports in, in, uh, in Cuba as far as... Uh, that you could fly into, I, like American and Southwest and United. Everybody was offering the flights there. And then all of a sudden, when they put the restrictions back on, a lot of those flights stopped. Well, a lot of them have opened again. And I can give you a list of which airlines that actually flies into Havana, to Varadero, to all the other places in, in Cuba. But for Americans who want to visit Cuba, the government of the, in America have decided that there are 12 pre-approved reasons to go. No paperwork, no application, no nothing connected to that. You just have to state your reason to go. And the most popular one is helping the Cuban people. So you just have to decide that you go to help the Cuban people. And then you book your flight and then you buy your tourist card and you need to get the pink one because Americans need the pink version as opposed to the green one, which the rest of the world is using. And then you book your place to stay and you can go. Okay. Uh, now, as far as, I guess, I, I guess the buying the pink card is essentially like the, kind of like the, the Cuban version of buying a, a visa. Is that correct? That is correct. And you can buy that online. It's just a, a tourist card, they call it. Tourist visa, tourist card. But you don't need to apply for it. You can just buy it online. 
Oh, perfect. All right. And then uh, as far as like, I know in some countries you go to visit, you have to have like your yellow card with like vaccines and those type of things. Are there any shot requirements that come into the, the Cuba? There are no requirements, but there are recommendations based on what uh, diseases that has been present in Cuba for the last few years. So there are no requirements to actually enter. Okay, perfect, perfect. Yeah, so I personally don't like shots, but I, I get them when I, when I need to, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, but I know that's part of traveling. You know, I mean, I, I, we often forget that a lot of times the countries that we visit, they don't have the same medical facilities that we have in the U.S. And so if you get sick <laughs> in those countries, you may or may not want to visit those doctors and, and everything, as well as they just may not have enough resources to be able to help you, you know? Yeah. And that is, that is a good fact for Cuba because, you know, they have a good education system for healthcare workers, but they lack the resources. They lack medicine and, and equipment and stuff like that. So if you are contemplating going to Cuba, I would check out the web pages and find out what diseases have been registered there. And if those are diseases that are not common in your country or where you live, that might be an indication that you might want to get vaccine because your body is not used to that kind of you know, exposure. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And the same thing, I think it's just part of travel is being respectful to the people you're, you're visiting. Things that you have in your body, they may not have the resources or the shots or, or whatever, and you may bring things to them and, and can get them sick. Okay, so we, we fly into, say, the, the airport there in Havana. From the airport to the, the city, how do we get there? Is there public transportation? Is there is there car rentals? Is there like a ride share? Like how do we get around from the airport to the city and, and around to the attractions? Right. There are no public transportation. But outside of the uh, airport in Havana, Jose Marti Airport, uh, there are always taxes. Always taxes. And so that's going to cost you about $25 right now to get from the airport about 30 minute ride into the center of Havana. You can also book one online if you want to have someone, you know, standing with a sign with your name on it when you get out. You can actually book online someone to pick you up before you get there. And a lot of times also when you book, if you book what is called a casa particular, it's a, a homestay, a rental that is rented out by private uh, people in Cuba. They also often are able to organize that for you. But there's no trains and there's no bus going from the airport to Havana. So you kind of either prearrange or you just pick one up when you get there. Okay, that makes sense. Now, obviously, when you're when you're going there, you know, one of the one of the advantages and also one of the, the troubles, I guess, when you're when you're traveling is sometimes not knowing the, the local language or them not being able to understand what you're speaking. Do a lot of people understand English or do you have to have something to help translate? Uh, into the local language? Well, more people now than, than before understand English, but I wouldn't count on it. It's still very much a Spanish-speaking country. So if I didn't know a word of Spanish, which actually was the case when I got there four years ago, I would download an offline, what's it called, parlor, an offline translator to have with me. Because in Cuba or in Havana, you're not online all the time, uh, like 4G network and, and Wi-Fi is, is still a scarce commodity. So get yourself an app offline, Spanish, English, or whatever language you have, and then you are pretty much good to go. But a lot of people, especially outside the city, does not speak English almost at all. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, from some of my friends that, that traveled to Cuba when they first 
opened many years ago, they were talking about that it was sometimes tough to to speak with people, also tough to find cell service, uh, and even finding cash uh, was also a challenge. So in order to be able to pay for the taxi or pay for other things, how do we do that? Do we How do we get local currency or, or do they take US dollars? Uh, they take US dollars. Now, money in Cuba is a tricky one, but it's a bit complicated, but it's not impossible. So the thing is that the dollar, the US dollar is currently banned at the moment, which means that you cannot legally pay for anything in a governmental store with US dollars. But as there's so much US dollars in circulation in Cuba, you know, the government has made an exception. They have made what they call an amnesty so that people can actually bring their dollars to the bank and deposit or change it into the local, local currency. And so for that reason, every private enterprise, and the, there's an increasing number of private enterprises in Cuba, accept US dollars and also accept euros. So another thing about money is that for Americans, your credit card is not valid. It doesn't work in Cuba. And the reason for that is the still ongoing sanctions. So you need to actually bring the money that you're going to spend in cash. And that's not a problem. Like that's not a practical problem, but you just need to know that you have to actually bring the cash when you get there. So when you get out, uh, out of the airport, you just pay for the taxi with your US dollars or your euros that you have with you in cash. Okay. Now, I guess the, the big question is you know, if you don't have access to your credit cards, you know, which I use almost for every purchase, uh, and then you don't really have access to like an ATM. I guess the the question is trying to figure out how much cash we should bring in order to be able to to do some of the activities, to pay for a hotel, and and everything else that we're going to do. Yeah, that is kind of a how big is a fish question. Oh sure, <laughs> <You> know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it kind of depends what what kind of activities you want to do, what kind of quality that you want to have in the hotel that you're staying or whatever, what kind of restaurants that you want to eat at. But for the high end rest, sorry, for the high end hotels in Havana. You probably pay that online because they're international, they're international chains. So you can book and pay online. But that would probably be from like 200 to $600 a night for the big ones. Now you can also book a Casa Particular online, like a privately rented holiday home. And you can actually get that down to $25 a night, you know, for, for a private room. And then you might pay like $5 extra to have this huge, wonderful breakfast in-house. So like $25, $30 for the, the cheapest versions. You can obviously walk around Havana and, and just see and look and experience. And that's not going to cost you anything, but, you know, a lot of sweat probably and a few bottles of water. But if you want to go on organized tours, that probably will be between $25, $30 and $70 depending on what kind, if it's a boat, if it's a car, if it's like, if you go on a travel far or not. So for the cheap version of a Havana stay, uh, including food and, and low cost activities, I would say 80 to a hundred dollars a day. And for the high end, you know, start at 800 a day. And from there you can take it anywhere you want. You can actually rent a private home in Havana. It's like a mansion with swimming pool and bar and everything and people serving you if you want that. That is accessible to you. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, <laughs> I didn't mean to put you on the spot as far as, uh, you know, kind of going through all those scenarios, but I think people really can kind of need to understand, look, if you don't have your access to credit cards, you don't have access to your ATM, 
you have to plan ahead and you have to kind of understand what the costs are. And the good thing, like you said, is that a lot of these activities and a lot of your hotels and, and those type of things can be paid in advance through like the websites or through your tour operators. And that way you can reduce the amount of cash that you have to bring with you. Cause obviously if you're bringing a lot of cash, there's obviously, you know, a higher risk of losing it or crime or, or whatever that you have to worry about somebody holding you up for, for all your, all your money. Yeah, that's right. And also, I just want to state that, you know, you can have like a really nice budget holiday in Havana. And you can also have like this, the incredibly luxurious holiday in Havana. So it kind of depends on what you want, what kind of experience you want, and what kind of budget you want to spend on that uh, journey. Absolutely. So let's talk about some of the uh, some of the things we should do while we're while we're visiting there. I know a lot of what we see on the movies and we see on TV. You know, like they have a lot of the classic American cars. Obviously, like cigars are are a big thing. So I'm sure there's different activities related around uh, around those, and then other experiences as well. Well, um, I have to say it's a really touristy thing to do. You know, t- taking the classic American car tour. But I recommend that to everybody. Because first of all, it's like really cool to travel around in a 50, 60 year old car in Havana, like in bright pink or whatever. But also these classic American car tours will take you around the whole, like the big city of Havana, not just Havana, the old city, the historic city, but to different city districts. And they will show you kind of everything that is around, like the modern district of Vedado, the Havana forest, the university. You can even go to um, a really cool neighborhood 15 minutes outside of the center where a very renowned artist have created a whole neighborhood out of tiles. So the whole neighborhood is like a tiled piece of art, which is really awesome. There's the, the Havana fortresses that you will pass. And so I really recommend that, you know, the first day in Havana, take a classic car tour and also do a guided walking tour of Old Havana. Old Havana can be a little bit bewildering, like it's it's tiny, narrow streets. And if you don't know the city, you might actually get a little bit lost. But if you do like a one and a half hour, two hour walk with a, a skilled guide that can tell you everything about the, the historic city and the historic sites and the architecture and the places that you pass, I think that is going to give you uh, a lot of insights that you probably will cherish. Both of those are great opportunities to one kind of learn a lot about the about the history and the culture of the city, but also it helps you get a kind of like your bearings on on the city. So that way, as you're exploring later on throughout your trip, you're going to be able to kind of remember some of those markers and go, "Oh, okay, I've been here before." And, and even if you're getting a little lost, you can you can see something or recognize something that okay. Now I know where I'm at. It may be take, you maybe have to take the long way around to get back, but at least now you've kind of recognized something and, and feel a little bit more comfortable. Exactly. So the city is not that big. So even if you get lost, you know, just enjoy it. And probably someone is going to help you on your way. Absolutely. So, so uh, like you were talking about like the fortresses, I think that's one of the fun things that I like to do with my kids is not only finding something that, that's exciting and, and adventurous, but also uh, something that's a little bit more historical, something that's a little bit more educational. And I think being able to visit some of those old fortresses kind of hit, hit the nail on the head there as far as that goes. So what are those fortresses? Well, there are actually a variety. Some of them are on the kind of the mainland side and some of them are across a subterranean tunnel, which kind of uh, encompasses the 
way into the Havana Harbor. So the places that I would really go is the one that is called El Moro, which is the lighthouse that is just on the edge of the bay. And from there, you can actually see like the whole Malacan boardwalk. You can see the whole old city. You can see all the way over to the modern city of Adado. And uh, if it was possible, you would also be able to see Miami from there. <laughs> but <laughs> you can't do that, unfortunately. <laughs> so to get yourself over to the Moro, that is what I would recommend. And also when you're on that side, there is a bigger kind of fortress that is called La Cabana or La Cabana. And uh, that is also a, a place that I would really go. And I would go there in the evening around eight o'clock and just explore when it's not too hot and spend a little bit of time because at nine, every day at 9 p.m., they have a ceremony there, a guard changing ceremony kind of thing. And it ends at 9 p.m. with a, a cannon shot, like a salute. And that can be heard all throughout the city. And uh, that is actually a really nice experience to, to have when you are visiting Havana. Oh, that sounds amazing. I guess a couple of other things that, that I saw that seemed really interesting. They have a, the old parliament building actually looks almost exactly like the White House. That is true. It is actually almost like a replica. Uh, but the architect that designed uh, is called the Capitolio or El Capitolio. He says that his inspiration for this building was the Pantheon in Paris. But like in height and size, it is almost identical to the White House. And that was originally the parliament building before the revolution in Cuba in 31st of December 1958, so New Year's Eve. Uh, but after the revolution, that was uh, shut down. But now it's open and you can actually visit and see inside. And the architecture in, inside this building is amazing. It's beautiful. And there are also quite a few pieces of art to see in there. The spot that they call the Kilometro Cero, so kilometer number zero for like the main place of the starting point of Havana is in there. And there's a, a huge statue. I don't remember the, the weight of it exactly, but a huge golden statue, not real gold, but it's like golden, that has been transported, I think, from Europe to Cuba and has been placed inside here. So uh, visiting the Capitolio and do a guided tour in there and hear all the history of before and after the revolution and all the pieces of art and the significance that it has, uh, I think also is probably going to be well worth your time. I had my parents visiting me in 2020, I think it was, and they loved that tour. Oh, that sounds amazing. Well, well, speaking of the revolution, there's also a museum about the revolution as well, right? Yes, there is. Thing is, for the last two years, it's actually been closed for maintenance. And like a lot of things in Cuba, <laughs> it's hard to determine when something is going to open again, because there's not really a, a public statement of a plan. So I'm not sure when that's going to happen, but there is a part of the museum that is currently open. And that is where you can see like uh, the boat that Fidel Castro used to his first attempt for a revolution in Cuba in the 50s that didn't work so well. And a lot of other things as well that uh, tanks and uh, weaponry and cars and stuff like that connected to the what they call the freedom fight for Cuba. So you can still visit that right now, but when you go, if it's open by the time you get there, I would really recommend you go. Okay. Yeah, that'd be great. Another thing as far as like historic uh, you know, history and historic buildings is the a lot of times like the cathedrals are just really a, a, amazing. 
the Cathedral of San Cristobal seems like something that kind of fits that bill as well. That is absolutely true. It's on the Cathedral Square in Old Havana. Uh, I don't remember exactly now when it was built, but it is an amazing building as well. And the special thing about not necessarily the interior of the architecture side of things, but the cultural significance of that cathedral is that inside it's a Catholic cathedral, but in Cuba, about, I think, 70% of the population feel that they uh, belong to the Santeria religion. And Santeria is a religion that came with slaves to Cuba uh, centuries ago from the African religion that is called Yoruba. And now it has kind of changed into a, a Cuban way a Cuban religion that is a mixture of the Catholic and the African Yoruba religions. So the Santeros in Santeria, they worship the same saints as Catholics do, and they do it in the same church. So inside the Catholic church in Havana, you see all the saints, and you also see their uh, Santeria counterparts in all the different pieces of art that are inside this cathedral. So... That is also a really amazing place to visit. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Now, like I said, a lot of times I travel with my kids, but sometimes I can get my wife away from work and we can we can go on a, a little trip by ourselves. One of the things I was looking at in Havana is this place called uh, Casa de la Musica. I guess it's like a really fun place to go dancing and, and hear music and everything like that. I think that'd be like a perfect experience for, for me and my wife. Yep. If you like to dance or if you like to watch other people dance at least and you like music and it has to be kind of the Latin kind, you are going to love uh, Casa de la Musica. And the thing about that is it's a Casa de la Musica is just not one place. It's like every place in Cuba has a house of music. Uh, So in Havana, you have two. There is one that is in the central part of Havana, and there is one that is in an area that is called Miramar. The most easily accessible is the one in central Havana. And they're open basically every night, and you can just get there, dress up a little bit. Cubans like to look nice. There are guards at the door and inside, you know, there are often live bands playing a variety of music, uh, bachata, kizumba, salsa, of course, and people are dancing. So the thing about like, I don't know what it's like where you come from, but in Norway, people don't really dance that much. What we do in parties is we we have music, but we talk a lot. (laughs) In Cuba, (laughs) people dance and without dance, there is no party. So if you really want to shake your legs a little bit, Casa de la Musica is where you should go. Fantastic. Well, and also if, if you're not really into dancing, but you're more of like a voyeur where you just want to watch other people dance, I guess there's a, there's a cabaret over at uh, Tropicana. That is true. I was actually just there, I think maybe six months ago. I have no idea why I didn't go there sooner, but it was amazing. It's like classical, you th- think about Paris in the 20s, 30s. There are these elaborate costumes and it's kind of merged with the Caribbean rhythms and the Latin culture things. So that is a, a whole night show that I also recommend. I think I can send you some photos about of that just to give you an impression. But, you know, these dancers are amazing. And you can also uh, book it as a, a full night thing with dinner and drinks and everything. And you'll be seated and just enjoying everybody else's dance skills. Yeah, that's really cool. I think it's like a really great experience and just be able to kind of have fun with uh, with friends or with, with like your loved one and, and uh, be able to just enjoy yourself for sure. Exactly. And be aware, though, you will be challenged at the end to get on stage and dance as well. But you can't, you know, you can't dodge it. 
<laughs> well, right on. Well, well, hey, I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing all these amazing tips for Havana. Like I said, it was one of those things that's always been on my bucket list and I never got around to doing it. And now I've heard so many great things. I, I really have to kind of uh, make it happen. I hope so. <laughs> but now it's time for the final countdown. If somebody only had time for one meal when they visited Havana, where should they go and what should they eat? Well, my absolute favorite place in Havana, it's actually a high, kind of high-end place in central Havana. That is called La Guarida. And the really good thing, like everything is good about this place. The venue is amazing. You have to climb a couple of stairs to get up there, but they have two incredible rooftops where you are seated with night views all over Havana. And the menu is amazing. They have normally a lot of fish dishes, but as I have fallen in love with the ropa vieja, the old clothes dish, which is basically pork, uh, Cuban style. So go to La Guarida and sit down on the rooftop terrace and try the ropa vieja or fish if you absolutely want that. <laughs> That's my best tip. <laughs> right on. And like we talked about, like you, you kind of fell in love when you visited. You've been back and forth uh, a few times already, and, and I'm, I'm sure you're planning your next, your next return. So you've created a lot of mi different memories. What's one of the most memorable? I think I'm going to have to go with actually one of my first like real encounters with Cuba. I think when I got there the first time, it took me about a week before I started to feel it. And um, I met a friend in my, on my first visit there that took me outside of the tourist, you know, the tourist path of Havana. And so we went out to the suburbs uh, with a bottle of rum and we shared like one plastic cup to like have Cuba Libre and parted in the streets with all the local Cubans all through the night and then went to to the Playas del Este, which is the eastern beaches just outside of Havana for the sunrise. And I think that was kind of my defining moment when I fell in love with Cuba. <laughs> Now that sounds amazing. Uh, it's one of those things where just sometimes when you visit a, a certain location and you have just one of those like almost like mind blowing or life changing experiences, it everything changes at that moment. At that moment, everything changes in that moment. It was just like I think that night for me was just a, a pivot point, so to speak. That is so cool. Now speaking of good times and happy memories, oh, where's the happiest happy hour in, in Havana? There are so many places that you can be happy in Havana, but. <laughs> I think if you want like a really cool experience, you should go to, it's actually a hotel or a, a boutique hotel kind of place. And someone even call it a hostel. It's called Malecon 663. And it's obviously along the Malecon boardwalk. It has several stories. And on the top floor, there's a rooftop terrace. And I'm, yeah, I don't know if it's shined through, but I love rooftop terraces. And so this rooftop terrace in particular, they have DJ, they have food, they have drinks, they have, I think they still have actually even a jacuzzi out there. And it's like unsurpassed view of the sea. So that is an amazing place to go for happy hour in Havana. Yeah, that's, a, I'm smiling just thinking of it. I have a picture <laughs> in my head of like what it could look like. And that sounds, that sounds incredible. Now, one of the things I always do whenever I travel is, is check out the local pizza. It just gives me a little taste of home. Uh, that way I don't get homesick when, I, when I'm traveling. So what's the best place for pepperoni pizza in Havana? Right. So pizza in Havana is not like pizza anywhere else. And so there, there simply isn't any place for the best pepperoni pizza in Havana. But really close to where I lived for almost two years in old Havana, there is a place that is called Venome. And uh, it's very close to the the central park of Havana. 
And it's a tiny, tiny venue. I think it's like four or five tables, but they have really good pizza. And it's more the Italian kind, you know, not the American kind. So it's the one with the thin crust and everything. But the ambience there is super Cuban. It's almost like directly on the street. So you can feel the ambience of the street while you're having your pizza. So if you want the noisy <laughs> Cuban pizza experience, that's where you should go. I think that's awesome because it, it gives you kind of like the the best of both worlds, right? You get that 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 local experience, but you still get like, you know, that comfort food that makes you a little happy. That just sounds like it's so much fun. So as we were talking about that, you know, you travel professionally now, you're, you're traveling all over the world, you know, you're kind of bouncing around between all the different Caribbean islands right now and everything. So, so through that, I'm sure you created a lot of different uh, travel tips that really help you out having a great experience. So what's, what's one of your best travel tips? I think one of my best travel tips, and it especially applies to Cuba, but I think it can apply to anywhere, really. That is be patient. You know, when you're traveling, be patient. I briefly mentioned, you know, that I'm, I have a long history with the army. And one of the things that we say there is the plan is nothing. Planning is everything. So when you kind of just, if you make an outline and uh, you have an objective for what you want to achieve or, or experience, that is great. But just be prepared that things are not going to go according to plan. You know, reality hits and things changes. And that is especially true in Cuba. If you make an agreement in Cuba, you can almost be sure it's never going to happen. But if you don't have a plan to meet someone, you can almost be sure that someone's going to show up, you know. And there's this term called Cuban time. They don't really live by the clock clock like we do because buses <laughs> are late and, you know, cars break down. And then there's the weather that suddenly changes. And when, when it rains in Cuba, nothing works. So... I would say just be patient and embrace the weird stuff and just enjoy the journey, I think. And if you're kind of a planning person, just try to prepare your mind before you go that this is, this is like a learning experience and this is going to be an exciting journey. And then you might actually love Cuba. <laughs> <laughs> That's really awesome. I'm sure, for, especially for you, for being in, a, in the army for so long, you go from being very rigid on, on the time to being like where time is flexible. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is, you know, yeah, sometimes uh, I think my experience is really good to have, but other times it's like, how is this possible? You know, so yeah, I have to work with my, my pre, uh, how do you say, preconceptions sometimes and expectations, but it's been, yeah, learning a lot every day. <laughs> well, right on. Well, well, hey, I really appreciate coming on the show and, and sharing all these amazing tips. It's great meeting you and learning all about Havana. Can you tell the audience a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Right. Like I said, I was I was in the army for 20 years and in I think it was in 2018, I just had this little epiphany that time passes quickly and there is a lot of really good things in the world. And uh, I decided it is time that I changed my focus a little bit. So after having like worked a lot of time in my country, but also overseas deployed, I wanted different experiences. So I decided to become a full-time traveler. And obviously not knowing all the work <laughs> that would be connected to changing my life around dramatically at that age. But it has been absolutely amazing. So the last three plus years, I have been a full-time traveler. And I have created my travel blog, The World by Hege. I can send you the link to that. 
and also showing my journeys and my experiences and, and giving travel tips on Instagram, Facebook and uh, Pinterest. And also quite recently, I decided to pay it forward. All the amazing, you know, experiences and and uh, learnings that I've had. So I have launched a coaching service called The Power to Pivot. And so now I hope that I'm going to find a lot of people who want to create the best life possible and that they find me and so that I can help them do that, you know. So that is that is where I'm at at the moment. <laughs> That is fantastic. Yeah, it's one of those things where I think a lot of people are are interested in making that type of life change, but they just they need that little nudge. They need that coach to help them, guide them, and make make sure that it's hey, it's going to be okay, you know. And if it and if it's not, you can always go back to the way things were before. Yeah, and so I remember that fear of jumping into the unknown. Uh, so I've been there. And I've done it and I survived. So <laughs> right on. And then one thing is also when I was looking at, at your background, I also saw that you are a TEDx speaker. Yes, I was uh, in, I think, March this year. I was at Mountain Avenue outside of Denver and I gave a TEDx talk called how to, sorry, how to improve your communication skills with a traveler's mindset. And that is actually based on both my experience in the army and working with different cultures under various circumstances, but also, you know, being a full-time traveler and meeting other cultures as just a person. And what I feel that I have learned about how we can connect and how we can communicate if we just meet others with the mindset of a traveler. Because, you know, when you're in your normal life, you kind of think that you know everything about everybody because you've known them for ages and whatever. But when you travel, you know, especially to a new place, you kind of know that you don't know uh, anything about them or their background and what they have lived through. So if you kind of take that mindset and put it into the way you meet people in your own life, you might actually be surprised to what's going on inside the minds of people that you see <laughs> every day. I'm going to include links to your website, your TEDx talk, and, and your social media. That way, if anybody wants to learn more about Havana, about your talks, about your coaching, they can definitely reach those resources. So again, thanks for being on the show, and we look forward to seeing you when we travel there. Thank you so much. I hope to see you there soon. What an awesome conversation with Hagen. I've always wanted to visit Cuba to explore the island and step back into time with all the classic cars. You can find all the links we talked about today and our one-page guide to Hague's tips at wetravelthere.com forward slash Havana. We want to say thank you to Acorns for being today's affiliate partner. With Acorns, you can invest spare change automatically on every purchase that you make. Plus, you can earn found money by shopping at participating retailers. This is a great way to easily build up your travel fund. For a limited time, when you sign up at wetravelthere.com forward slash Acorns, we'll both earn $5. Join us next time as we speak with my new friend Corey Lee of CurbFreeWithCoreyLee.com about accessible travel. In this episode, Corey and I talk about unexpected ways attractions are making it easier for disabled travelers to participate, what it's like to fly when you have a wheelchair, and how his foundation is making dream trips a reality for other wheelchair travelers. You'll be joining us when we travel there. I love hearing your feedback about the show. Send me a tweet at wetravelthere or email me at wetravelthere.com forward slash contact to share your thoughts. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and tell me what you like most. Make sure you follow us on your favorite podcast app. That way you won't miss any of our upcoming destinations.